Hey, hey, hey. Thanks very much indeed for showing up again for this episode five of the What's Racing About podcast, The Wrap, the podcast that helps you get the most out of UK and Irish horse racing. Now, for those listeners who have been with us right from the very start of this podcast, you'll recognise that we've explored a couple of social and cultural aspects of racing in the podcast to date. It's time to change it up now, though, and focus on the here and now of actual racing, as I'm going to explore what I hope is going to be a new angle on sorting out a value bet in the final classic of the season, which is the St. Ledger, on the 11th of September. Like I said right back in episode one, the rap is not a tipping podcast. However, in trying to help you get the most out of your UK and Irish horse racing, I'm naturally interested in betting and all aspects and angles relating to betting on horse races. I mean, what's a day at the races if you don't have a bet or two, right? So in that respect, I'm always going to try and give you fresh ways of looking at a race or races and generally try and sort of set you thinking about lines of analysis you may not have considered when having a bet. The most important thing to say at this juncture is that if I do come up with a bet, it'll be flagged up loud and clear. So no ifs or buts or maybes. I'll be backing it and I'll be backing it with my own cash. So win, lose or draw, you'll know that I'll be sharing the pain or the grins if it loses or wins. Why the St. Ledger then? Well, it's a high profile race. <laughs> Duh, yeah, Pete, we know. So in this horse racing world is of often pig-headed but heartfelt opinions, it'd be remiss of us not to have some thoughts on the final English classic of the season. Secondly, though, it's a race with very little in the way of specific form to go on, which can reward the punter prepared to take an offbeat look at participants through the prism of different types of analyses. So, for example, few, if any, of the horses lining up on the 11th will have actually raced as far as one and three quarter miles, which is the demands of the ledger. So this raises the question as to their stamina for such a relatively long race at this stage in their young careers. Remember, the horses are all three-year-olds, teenagers basically in human terms. They're still developing physically as well as learning mentally about the demands of racing at the highest level and at such a relatively precocious age. From a punting perspective then, you've got to factor in an improvement factor as horses continue to mature and certainly an improvement factor for those likely to benefit from being asked to run further than they've ever done before. How does the savvy punter, which I hope everyone listening to this podcast aspires to be, how does a savvy punter begin to assess this potential for improvement when the accent is going to be more on a horse's endurance ability? One answer is of course to look at the horse's breeding. On a very simple level, you can look up the performances of a horse's mum and dad or go back even further to the next generation of grandparents. And there's plenty of websites and databases that will enable you to do this. One is the racingpost.com, for example, which is a really excellent resource for the dedicated racing fan. Real breeding experts can discuss with confidence entire family bloodlines. They'll understand the genetic limitations of a horse's full brothers and sisters and the impact of several generations on breeding on today's competitors. However, attaining such knowledge is a lifetime's work. So one breeding cheat or breeding hack, if you like, that I want to introduce you to that gives you a relatively clear insight into a horse's stamina potential is something called the dosage profile. At this point, it's fair to acknowledge the limits of podcasting as a sound-only medium. In an ideal world, this should be coming to you as a multi-platform PowerPoint presentation with PDF handouts as a bare minimum in order to explain dosage profiling fully. Nonetheless, we haven't got access to that, so let's press on with sound only. Putting it very simply, a horse's dosage profile is a shortcut pedigree by numbers. To reiterate, 
we're looking to establish the stamina potential for horses who are going to be running in the 2021 St. Ledger. So whilst I'm going to explore necessarily some of the wider and historical and technical content to dosage, I'll try to keep this ultimate objective at the forefront of what we're doing on this podcast. A bit of a delve into history then. Dosage profiling really first saw the light of day in the early 21st century when a French cavalry officer, one Lieutenant Colonel Jean-Joseph Vuillet, I think his name was pronounced, attempted to introduce some precision and science into the then fairly sort of haphazard world of thoroughbred breeding. Monsieur Vuillet went back 12, yeah, 12 generations of leading horses' pedigrees and noted that certain stallions in those pedigrees kept appearing more often than they should have done by pure chance. He was able to work out the ideal breeding profile, or the dosage profile as it became known as, from these stallions with such major influences. Voodoo, you may think. Well, go tell it to the then Aga Khan. Except he's dead, so you can't. But the Aga Khan was one of the great breeders of our time. He based a lot of his early 20th century breeding operation on Monsieur Vullier's dosage theory. Now, I'm bracing like mad here because, well, let's face it, it's all a bit dull and for the anoraks and not you necessarily, the bright, svelte, rap audience. But dosage theory became more refined thanks to the work of Franco Varola in the 1970s, who began to classify the influences in extended thoroughbred pedigrees according to the type of offspring they produced. Varola's dosage categories show a progression of aptitudes over five categories, from brilliant through intermediate classic, solid, and professional. The big leap forward regarding dosage theory came in 1981, when Dr. Steve Roman simplified Varola's work, deciding that brilliant and intermediate categories were influences for speed, classic was an intermediary middle ground category, and solid and professional were influences for stamina. Now, remember stamina? That's what we're looking for in our St. Ledger horse, right? true, but there's a little bit more theory to go through first, so stick with me, folks. I'll try and keep it as lightweight as possible. Now, not only did Dr. Roman make dosage theory more accessible, he made it more usable in real-world pedigree analysis. He simply added up all the influences for speed in a horse's pedigree, divided them by the influences for stamina, and hey presto, you had a number, a dosage index for a horse, suggesting the optimum distance it should theoretically be able to perform at. The numbers generated by Dr. Roman's theory came from the recency of a sire in a horse's pedigree. So, for example, a sire allocates twice as many points to the dosage index as a grandsire, and four times as many as a great-grandsire, etc., Dr. Roman's dosage figures were only based on the most recent four generations of a pedigree, so not the 12 that Monsieur Vullier went back. Roman believed that recency of pedigree gives greater accuracy in profiling, commensurate with sufficiently accessible pedigree data. In addition to the influence of the four most recent generation of sires, Roman's updated dosage theory also majored in on the, um, for want of a better term, the greatness of preeminent stallions in the breeding world. Roman only awarded points to a sire or grandsire or great-grandsire or great-great-grandsire if it appeared on a list that he developed of great and influential stallions. A sharp turn at this point into equine sexual politics. If you've stuck with me so far, you're probably going, what a sexist pig. Why is he only on about the stallions and their influence? What about broodmares? It takes two to tango in the breeding shed for pity's sake. Now, this is all true, but broodmares have few progeny. 
one a year perhaps, compared with a stallion who can sire tens of offspring a year. So it's a bit of a statistical non-starter to judge what influence the females of a horse's bloodline have over their offspring. So that's where we're measuring in on sires and the male lineage. So where does all this leave us as regards the St. Ledger then? I've analysed the dosage profiles and dosage indices of the last 20 winners of the fifth classic, and there's a few interesting points that come out of that analysis. I'm going to shove all of the research that I've done onto the What's Racing About podcast Facebook page. So if you're totally gung-ho for all of this, then head to those resources, where you'll also find some links to articles about the dosage theory, as well as a critical link to the pedigreequery.com website, which gives you free access to the dosage figures and four-generation pedigree of pretty much every horse in training throughout the world. Get into the good stuff then. You'll not be surprised to hear that only five of the last 20 winners of the ledger have a dosage index greater than one, which basically indicates more of a speed influence. And only three winners, and that was Harbour Law in 2016, Arctic Cosmos in 2010, and Rule of Law in 2004, have an overtly what you might call speedy dosage profile. The rest all come in at under 1.05 dosage index, and for example, last year's winner, Galileo Chrome, had a dosage index of just 0.49. In addition, every single winner since the turn of the century had a dosage number, and that is basically the total number of points in its profile, had a total dosage number greater than or equal to 16, with the 2013 winner, Leading Light, having 50 points in his profile, and Rule of Law, yep, him again, weighing in with 52 points. So it's a bit of a tales of the bleeding obvious to say you need to be looking at a well-bred horse with plenty of great size in their pedigree, conferring big numbers on today's competitors. Nonetheless, it's good to have that confirmed by dosage theory. A few other points of note. Whilst I've talked about dosage as a way of assessing a horse's stamina potential, it's interesting to note that every single winner in the last 20 years had at least two points from the brilliant and intermediate categories. To recap, those are the categories at the more speedy end of the dosage spectrum. 2012 winner Enka, for example, had nine brilliant points and three intermediate. Brian Boru in 2003 scored seven and three in these more speedy categories. Similarly, you might think that a horse having a big numbers in the final professional category is going to show an aptitude for stamina. Beep, beep, wrong, but thanks for paying attention. Only the 2009 winner, Mastery, had a score in this category above 2, with the bulk of the winners scoring 0 or 1. However, 14 out of the 20 winners had over 8 points in the solid, or if you like, the penultimate of the 5 dosage categories, which is where the bulk of the stamina points come from. In summary then, in purely dosage profile terms, you're looking for a horse with strong stamina numbers, big overall totals indicating great breeding, and some speed indicative figures. Like I've said before, I'm intensely aware that this particular podcast is now very numbers and theory heavy. If you're listening in the car or in the gym or on a walk, then you're either feeling the need to get a pen and paper to write all this down, or you're totally shell-shocked and feeling you've been punched in the ears by information. So, to apply some soothing ear balm once again, all of the research and background information that I've just outlined can be found on the What's Racing About podcast Facebook page, Onto the good stuff then, running the likely runners in this year's St. Ledger through the ideal dosage profile template I've just outlined, and seeing if we can pinpoint competitors likely, repeat, underlined and highlighted in Dayglow marker pen, likely to enjoy the biggest test of stamina they faced in their young lives. I'm doing this podcast on Monday the 6th of September, which is five days prior to the Ledger. 
So uh, I don't know at this stage what the final list of runners and riders is going to be. I do know that Aidan O'Brien has six of the 13 runners declared and it's unlikely, although it's not impossible, that all six are going to be lining up at Doncaster at 3.35 on Saturday. God, what you'd give to be a fly on the wall when he discusses his riding plans with his owners and jockeys, eh? Sadly, we're not. But nonetheless, with that proviso in mind, there are a few points we can take into our examination of the race based on the dosage principles that I've just outlined. As I've mentioned already, I'm going to be putting all of the research behind this podcast on the What's Racing About podcast, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram feeds. So please don't worry if you don't catch all of what I'm about to say in the rest of the podcast. Head on over to our social media outlets and study it at your leisure there. Otherwise, pin back your ears and get a load of this because it's going to be well worth a listen. First up then, purely on dosage figures, I wouldn't put anyone off the current odds-on ledger favourite, Hurricane Lane. Absolute dosage purists may like to have a bit more speed in his profile. He scores a 1 in both the basic and intermediate dosage categories, which if you remember are influences for speed. In fact, he has actually got the lowest dosage index figure of 0.52 of all the horses that are declared, which theoretically says he has the greatest stamina levels in his breeding. So therefore, the one mile six furlongs of Saturday should be well within his comfort zone. He's already won twice at the highest level, over two furlongs shorter than Saturday's trip, in both the Irish Derby and in the Grand Prix de Paris. So I wouldn't worry too much about his speed based on his actual performance on the racetrack to date. With a bit of rain around towards the back end of the week, which is forecast, he looks to be a pretty worthy favourite to my eyes, even at his current cramped odds. The next two horses in the betting are Ottoman Emperor and Mojo Star, and both of these have definite question marks against them in purely dosage terms. Both of them, for example, have far greater speed influences to their pedigrees than any other winner this century. And Ottoman Empire also carries the additional burden of a very, very low dosage total of only 10, indicating a lack of outstanding size in his four-generation pedigree, certainly in comparison with other runners he's liked to face in the St. Ledger, and again, against any other Ledger winner so far this century. If you've taken the trouble to have a look at the charts on our social media sites, I've highlighted these relatively poor numbers against these two horses in red, so you could take a look at what I'm talking about for yourself on a visual basis there. We'll take out Lone Eagle, who was around about the fourth favourite in several anti-post lists, but wasn't in the five-day declarations today. Take him out, and you've got several interesting contenders from the Aidan O'Brien stable, who are currently trading at double-figure odds. Let's start by examining the claims of High Definition, who were supplemented into the race today. So that alone, it would seem, would indicate that A, he's going to be going for the race, and B, the shrewd trainer and owners think he's in with a chance. At current highest odds of 12 to 1, he's the best price contender of the O'Brien 6, and on purely dosage terms, he ticks all the boxes. However, he has disappointed in his three runs this season, finishing twice behind Hurricane Lane, and he was sixth out of eight in his prep race when sent off favourite in the Group 2 Great Voltage Stakes at York in August. Salucan, the Mediterranean, and Interpretation are next in the bet in all trading at between 14 and 20 to 1. All three are trained by Aidan O'Brien and all three have solid dosage profiles for the St. Ledger, as you can see from the charts on our social media pages. Of the three, I would tend to side with the Mediterranean, who has relatively few miles under his belt. He's run well at both Group 1 and Group 2 level this season, albeit behind Hurricane Lane in France on his penultimate outing. And he's untried over the 14 furlongs of Saturday's St. Ledger trip, which his breeding and his running style suggest will suit him. 
If the rain that's scheduled for the back end of the week does stay away from Doncaster and the ground rides good or better, then 20 to 1 represents value for me. Quick mention for Youth Spirit, currently trading at 25 to 1. He represents Andrew Balding, who's right in the mix to be champion trainer for this season. And the horse already has Tom Marcon declared as his jockey. The horse looks set to run, therefore, and is a Group 3 runner already, albeit at Chester, whose tight turns in no way replicate the long straights at Doncaster. If you want to think about it in football in terms, it's like the difference between the tight, cramped Old Upton Park where West Ham used to play and the wide-open spaces of Wembley, say. Nonetheless, Youth Spirit's dosage profile looks pretty tasty, and if there is any juice in the ground, he could easily outrun his odds. The rest of the field are all trading at around 50 to 1 or bigger, but of those, I'd say keep an eye on Fernando Vici. The angle here is again a breeding one, but not really based on his dosage profile, which is reasonable enough, but that his sire is Australia. Not only did Australia sire last year's St. Ledger winner, Galileo Chrome, I've got a feeling that he's going to be the next big thing in the breeding sheds at the mighty Coolmore Stud in County Tipperary in Ireland, now that their former top sire, Galileo, has passed away. Now, Fernando Vici is not owned by any of the patrons of Coolmore, and he's not trained by Aidan O'Brien. Yep, him again. But if he were to win here, the value of Australia as a sire would be enhanced that bit further, which backs up my notion that he's possibly going to be the next big superstar sire in the Northern Hemisphere. Okay, then let's cut to the chase. What are the takeaways from all of this? Well, firstly, that Hurricane Lane is a solid favourite based not only on his breeding, but on his racecourse performances to date. Mojo Star and Ottoman Emperor both have definite question marks against them on breeding, and I think there's value to be had in the four musketeers of High Definition, Interpretation, the Mediterranean, and Sir Lucan. Am I having a bet? No, I can't see Hurricane Lane being beaten, but his odds are far too skinny for me. If I could be sure that the Mediterranean would be in the final declarations, and his price would still be around about the 20 to 1 mark, then he's a great each way shout for me. But my fear is, if he does run, his price will be far shorter and therefore of no interest to me. Sometimes punting's like that. You cogitate, you ruminate, calculate for hours, sometimes days, and you end up coming up with nothing that hits our risk-reward button. The best thing to do then is to stay disciplined, don't have a bet, and watch the race for the spectacle that only a classic race can provide. Uh -uh, Abrupt change of subject time. There is something else you can do this weekend, of course. In episode two of The Wrap, I interviewed jumps trainer Richard Phillips about his brainchild of National Racehorse Week. Go and download that podcast if you haven't already, because in it you'll find an invitation to visit any number of working stables starting this Sunday, the 12th of September, and over the following week. For details of stables open near you, check out www.nationalracehorseweek.uk. Get yourself down to a stable and see with your own eyes the love and care that racehorses receive from their owners, trainers and stable staff from cradle to grave. I can't stress how strongly this wonderful initiative deserves the support of the racing public, but more importantly, the non-racing public as well, or those open-minded enough to find out what attention to their welfare racehorses in the UK receive. I'm going to be down at Richard's Stable in Adelstrop in Gloucestershire at around nine o'clock on Sunday morning, and I'd love to see you there. So for now, though, enjoy the St. Ledger on Saturday and the rest of the Kazoo-sponsored festival at Doncaster this week. In fact, enjoy your racing, whatever level you're involved. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and I'll let you know when the next rap podcast is out. I'm thinking this is probably going to be towards the end of September when I'm going to be training the rap lasers on the abuse of trainers and jockeys and why those who go in for it should grow the hell up. But till then, thanks for your time, which means so much to me. This has been Peter Bell, and for now... 
it's a wrap.